Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Monday, January 8th. I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg's Borough Assembly finalized two priority lists of community projects at its meeting last week. They'll use them to lobby the state and federal government for funding. KFSK's Shelby Herbert has more on how Assembly members reordered Petersburg's capital project lists for the new year. Every year, the Assembly evaluates local needs before bringing their funding requests to the government. The borough's finalized list of capital projects for the new year contains a good mix of old and new, both updates to existing infrastructure and proposals for brand new projects. Petersburg Medical Center's new hospital project was first on the list. The first three phases of construction are already funded and in progress, but the hospital still needs about $70 million to complete the final phases. $37 million of that would build the shell and core of the main hospital building, and the remaining $30 million would furnish the inside. Assemblymember Thomas Fine Walsh said that central to the theory of organizing the list is balancing a project's importance with the odds that the government will actually put down money for it. And some projects are more likely to receive funding than others. That's why he asked the Assembly to bump up a $6 million project to improve the airport bypass road from number 10 on the list to number 7 which displaced projects to upgrade the marine facilities at Banana Point and Petersburg's North Harbor, as well as a project to expand the capacity of a generator at Scow Bay. The project would bring a one-lane dirt road that lies parallel to the airport runway up to borough standards and make it easier for the public to use. Fine Walsh said he'd like to see the bypass road taken more seriously because it would free up congestion around Howkin Drive and give the borough easier access to more land. It has the potential to be really transformative for our community, essentially expanding our loop road system to a larger loop, which would encompass, I think, a lot of land that's really ripe for development and, and could be uh, you know, kind of a boon to our community. Mayor Mark Jensen added his voice in support of the bypass road. He said it could improve safety in town. And I've always been in favor of trying to get the bypass road completed. One, for safety issues, uh, emergency response vehicles that have another route out of town, just Cal Bay and further south. I think it would be a, a benefit. Assemblymember Bob Lynn wavered on the idea of prioritizing the new road over projects to upgrade the infrastructure Petersburg already has. I have a hard time agreeing with you from the standpoint that we have needs like that generator and a couple other things here to keep things we have operational. Yet we want to build something new before we take care of our operational things. Lynn was especially concerned about displacing the priority of the Scow Bay generator upgrade, which Petersburg Power and Light says would help pick up the slack for increased electrical demand during the winter. It would also back up Petersburg's power supply in the event of a hydropower outage. However, Wynne voted for Fine Walsh's amendment to bump up the bypass road, which passed unanimously. Then, Vice Mayor Donna Marsh asked the Assembly to consider moving up a project to replace the roof of Petersburg's secondary school from number five on the list to number three. My reasoning behind that is um, I agree with Member Lynn that we do need to take care of the facilities that we have. I know the Scalby project has been high on the on the priority list and needful, but um, that essentially is new. So I think the roof replacement would make sense to get that taken care of. The roof sustained severe damage from snow loads in the winter of 2022, and replacing it has been a top priority for Petersburg School District for years. 
A replacement would cost over $4 million. The Assembly unanimously passed Marsh's amendment to move it up on the list. That knocked a few marine infrastructure projects further down. One of them is an over $9 million project to repair a deteriorating float dock at Papke's Landing. It's located about 10 miles out of town. Boaters who use the dock say the state has let it fall apart for decades. It was high on the original priority list, at number three. But borough officials aren't confident that they'll get all their clerical ducks in a row in time to secure the government funding they need to get it fixed. And part of that is because the borough doesn't own the dock yet, which has been a complicated issue. They're trying to take ownership of the dock from the state, but borough manager Steve Giesbrecht says there's been no movement on that since the spring of 2023. And even if the borough manages to get the government funding they need, they'd have to get permission from the dock's current owners, the State Department of Natural Resources and Department of Transportation, to start the repairs. Some community members wanted more time to consider the borough's priorities. John Murgis testified at the assembly meeting that he wished the borough had given the public more opportunities to give their input on the list. This past year, there's been lots of changes to industries, commerce, climate, and, and so forth. Some of the projects uh, go back some time and could use a little bit of updating. I would request that perhaps before you do a prioritization of them, maybe postpone that prioritization at least one meeting to allow public input, which uh, I think would only make good projects better. But the assembly went ahead with a final vote and sealed the deal. So the borough's capital project priorities are set in stone for 2024. The assembly didn't make any changes to its federal funding priorities, which are listed on the borough's website. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Glaciers across southeast Alaska and British Columbia are retreating fast, uncovering long frozen streams and valleys that could be new habitat for Pacific salmon. The melting ice will also expose land that mining companies are eager to explore. As Anna Kenny reports from Juno, a new study warns that outdated mining policies and environmental protection don't do enough to protect the emerging salmon habitat. The Gitanyao tribe of British Columbia has long relied on two productive salmon streams, known as the Hana Tatina Creeks. But Nogging Taramarsden, the tribe's sustainability director, says a tribal fishery study back in 2016 revealed that salmon are changing their spawning habitats. We learned that Strone Creek, which is called Seek Alan in our language, was actually really productive. And over 40% of the spawners were in this creek, which historically had not been a producer. It's not been a producer because 100 years ago, most of the creek was covered by a glacier. But climate change is rapidly transforming the landscapes of western Canada and southeast Alaska. With warming fueled by the burning of fossil fuels, many of the region's glaciers will melt away by the end of the century. In their wake, they'll leave thousands of miles of brand new salmon stream. Researcher Jonathan Moore with Simon Fraser University says those streams may be threatened before the fish even get there. We have a choice as to how we steward those nascent ecosystems. Are we going to protect them? Or are they going to be mined? In a new study, Moore, Marsden, and their collaborators compared maps of glacial retreat, potential salmon habitat, and mining claims across more than 100 watersheds in the transboundary region of Alaska and Canada. 
They found that much of the region's new salmon habitat overlaps with an area known as the Golden Triangle, a mining hotspot in Canada's western Stikine region, where dozens of mining claims have already been staked on the newly melted land. Canada grants mining claims relatively freely. And according to Moore, the country's environmental protections don't consider how the landscape will be altered by climate change. Perhaps that's not surprising, given how fast the world is changing and how hard it is to change policy. But I think there's an urgent need for environmental laws to look to the future and ask whether they're protecting future habitats and not just current habitats. And Marsden says getting a mining claim in new salmon habitats is often easier than protecting them. The hurdle that gets created when they stake their claims is that then they're they're owed something. We've sorted these lands for thousands of years and, and we're not owed anything. Still, tribal governments are finding ways to protect new salmon habitat. In the Gitanyao territory, the Hana Tatina Creeks were already part of an indigenous protected area. When salmon were discovered in the nearby Sika Lawn, the tribe expanded the area to include it. And the study's authors note that it's possible for federal and provincial governments to do the same. Last summer, the U.S. Forest Service established a proactive ban on mining in areas where Juno's Mendenhall Glacier is retreating. In Juno, I'm Anna Canny. Minor slide activity has been documented near Wrangell's landslide site, 11 miles south of town, but it's nothing to be concerned about, says Interim Borough Manager Mason Valarma. He was scheduled to meet with the State Department of Transportation and State Emergency Operations Center last week. We'll be following up with them as well as the causation report. Uh, That's really critical to us. Uh, I understand that there may have been uh, some additional slide, really, really minor activity as part of the slide branching off on the south side. Uh, We want to get confirmation of that and talk through that so we can make the public aware of it. He says the additional slide activity on the south side is nothing concerning. Geological monitoring did detect it, though. To help keep residents informed of slide activity in the area, the city and borough of Wrangell plans to create a landslide assessment website. But Valarma says that will take some time to set up. When it comes to public safety, we're not concerned about the dollar amount. We'll find a way. Uh, that's just who we are as a team. We're going to deliver for the community wrangle with anything public safety related. It's just the process and the, the nuances. Uh, we don't want people to lose equity in their homes or not be able to get financing or refinance. He says that people generally know if they're in a higher risk area, such as living at the bottom of a mountain slope. As for now, the city will use the data from the weather stations on the island to alert people. U.S. Senator Lisa Mikowski visited Wrangell just before the holidays, and Valarma says her visit was informative. Senator Mikowski's visit was awesome. Uh, really appreciated her making the trek down to Wrangell, or actually up rather from D.C. on her way home. And we had a good conversation around all our, our, our public safety-related projects and investment into those. He says uh, We talked a lot about her He says they talked about public safety-related projects besides visiting the landslide. Murkowski also met with search and rescue and first responders who searched for weeks for six people killed in the slide. She gave Wrangell officials tips about seeking congressional direct spending. Wrangell could soon see infrastructure money coming in from the state. Five million dollars is listed in Governor Mike Dunleavy's budget for Wrangell's dams. If the legislature approves the funding, Valarma says the money could help make the dams safer. The Ketchikan Public Library will again see challenges over whether several books should remain on its shelves in 2024 after controversy surrounding book bans last year. Jack Darrell reports from Ketchikan. 
Library Director Pat Tully told KRBD that the challenges will be discussed at the upcoming meeting on January 10th. During that meeting, there's going to be a public hearing on requests to move two books from the teen room to the adult section. One of those books is Red Hood by Elena Arnold, a loose retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. The other is Flamer by Mike Corrado, a graphic novel about a teenage boy scout grappling with bullying and homophobia. Deborah Simon is an advocate for book bans. She's also on the library advisory board and voted in favor of removing the book Let's Talk About It, the teen's guide to sex, relationships, and being a human from the library's teen section last April. Her vote was the only one in favor of the challenge, but the library's decision was later overturned by the city council, which pulled the book in July. Simon is also responsible for the new challenges. She spoke during the citizen comment section of a recent Ketchikan Gateway Borough Assembly meeting on what she said was vulgar and unacceptable language in the book Flamer. All right, that's enough. I'm tired of this rabbity bee. Take out that effing ponytail. F off. Hold still, GD. Get the F off of me. MF. You effing F. You're the F. You're the effing F C and Q P F. This book. Simon also challenged the book's inclusion in the Ketchikan High School's library last fall. The Library Review Committee said at the time the book supports ethical standards, emotional needs, and promotes the student's ability to think critically about what they read. Her challenge was denied. Simon said she plans to appeal the ruling. Assemblymember Kathy Bowling disagreed with Simon's analysis of Flamer. I see this as an anti-parental choice um, movement. Uh, that concerns me. And... Uh, and I encourage everyone to read the book Flamer because I found it um, kind of spiritually lifting. Catlin Jacobson has been a librarian since 1991 and is the current high school librarian. She said the recent nationwide trend towards book challenges has been the greatest difficulty posed to her profession. She urged the assembly to follow policy. Uh, most importantly, as a private citizen, I urge you to follow the Constitution which supports the freedom to read, which supports freedom of information. It is not my job to tell anybody what to read. The book challenges will be heard and voted on at the upcoming Library Advisory Board meeting on January 10th. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Flora.